Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Glory to God. All right. Are you ready for the word? Um, initially, I have to tell you, what I said I wanted to come for was what we call deeper, and deeper has a slightly different agenda. Deeper is supposed to help people experience a prayer revival. Excuse the, the, the word revival, and I don't have time to explain why I have to excuse that, but don't worry. It's supposed to be like a revival meeting, just to help you pray better just to remove that drag in your walk with God and to give you ease. But your pastor commandeered the whole agenda and made it a full-fledged apostolic visit. And apostolic visits have a slightly wider scope. Because you have to understand, in the kingdom we give direction to the spirit. So in a healing meeting, you expect healings in a healing meeting. In a prayer meeting, the most important thing is prayer. But when it comes to what we call an apostolic visit, the first and important priority will be to see souls saved. That's number one. And number two, we will see gifts of the spirit dispensed. So the sick will be healed. All right? And then the third, which was what deeper was meant to be, you know, <laughs> is now just one of three, is your conviction will be strengthened, meaning you're going to experience spiritual growth. You're going to leave this meeting with information for sustainable supernatural advancement. Say loud amen. amen. Which I think is important. But tonight, we will dwell on the most important thing. Let me tell you this. Salvation is the most important thing. And I'm not saying that just uh, for the sake of saying. I'm not saying that because it's convenient. Let me tell you this. I will not believe that a God who does not heal can save. Because which is easier? Do you know what it means to promise eternal life? That a human being will live forever. Do you know what it means? Which is easier? Which is easier to, to heal a frail heart to heal fibroid, to heal cancer, or to make the same person live forever. And that's why we, when we focus on the bigger matter, all the other things will come cheaply. Did you hear what I said? So you have to see salvation as a bigger matter. And I'm not saying that um, poetically or philosophically. Factually, it is. Because when we're talking about, talking about salvation, we're talking about something practical. That it doesn't matter how long a man has been in the grave. At the trump of God, he will rise again. To be reunited to a new body in which he will live forever. That should make any scientific mind perturbed. Because even the best of smartphones that are in existence today still need to be charged. Their batteries run dry. So scientifically, you want to ask yourself, what type of power will it take to power a human being forever? Without him getting old, without him dying, that's tremendous power. 
So a God who offers eternal life must heal the sick. It's, it's, it's a giving. And that's why it was one of the notable parts of Jesus' ministry. As he preached eternal life, he healed the sick. Both must go hand in hand. And they will go hand in hand in this meeting. Say amen if you believe. So, turn your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1, verse 25. <laughs> Which will soon be registered trademark <laughs> for this ministry. If you hear someone start a sermon with Philippians 1, 25, the person learns under me. Or listens to me, which is okay. Hallelujah. Are you in Philippians 1.25? Read it together. One, two, go. Philippians 1.25. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. So here, Paul laid out the objectives, the objectives of his apostolic ministry. He's letting you know that he is, he's there in obedience to the great commission. God said to them, go ye into all the world and make disciples of nations. So now in obedience, he says, I will continue with you. For your progress and joy of faith. I want you to grow spiritually. And this is how that will happen. I will continue. Can you all just say continue? So it tells you that spiritual growth takes time. You can't achieve it in one special program. It takes time. This is why we planted a church. We could have just kept on having itinerant meeting here come once in a while have meetings itinerant meetings but he sent us to plant a church so that you can stay and be grounded and be established he said i will continue present continuous so if sustainable spiritual development sustainable spiritual development is what you're looking for then it's going to take time it's going to take time. And this generation that struggles with the concept of waiting struggles with a concept like this. But the same way there are levels of spiritual, of physical growth and maturity, there are levels of spiritual growth and maturity. Just the same way you have children physically. You can tell from their physique. You can tell from their understanding. You can tell from what they are capable of doing. What they can do for themselves. The same way you have spiritual children. And then you have spiritual adults. And that's what Paul is trying to introduce to you when he talks about progress in the faith. Meaning don't just come to church for the sake of it. Expect to grow. Set a target for yourself. The same way if someone has been to primary education and secondary education and tertiary institution, there is, there is a mentality you expect the person to have. A level of understanding. And if he goes for an interview for a job, the questions you'll be asked will be consistent with what he claimed to have learned. Do you understand what I'm saying? The same thing applies spiritually. Don't just stay in church for donkey years and know nothing. One of the things I'm praying to God that this conference will do for you is to put in you a dissatisfaction for spiritual mediocrity. You must be dissatisfied. After how many years in church, I ought to know the word of God by now. After many years in church, the devil is still playing games with my family. It must stop. 
What do I have? What has Jesus done for me? I want to know. And then fundamentally, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? You may be in church for so long and not know. I tell this story often because it touched me. A friend of mine, you know, went to preach in his hometown. And his grandmother, who has been in church, an elder in the church, was seated. And he preached the gospel. And this woman had never heard it that way before. So she called him aside after the service, said, teach me again, explain to me again. He explained. And then she started crying. She's, she was 85 years old at the time. And he said, why are you crying? He said, she said, do you know what it means that I'm 85? I'm closer to the time I will see the Lord. And I had never heard the gospel. This was someone who was walking in church. Because guess what? You can place your faith in Christ as a miracle worker. And not place your faith in him for salvation. So there were many people who followed Jesus when, he, when they heard that he was multiplying bread. But the moment he said, I am the bread come down from heaven, they were not interested. Do you see what I'm saying? What do you believe? Do you know? For instance, that text says, I will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Joy in the faith is something many believers have never heard of. What is joy in the faith? I know fear in the faith. Because every time I think of my salvation, I'm scared. Because that's what they've made me, that's how they've made me think. When they say, are you sure that if Jesus comes today, you are ready? You say, ah, yeah, I'm ready. Say, are you sure? <laughs> Have you ever doubted something you're sure of because of the way the person kept asking? <laughs> and then they remind you, you know, he sees the secret and the open. <laughs> and then as the pastor is talking, the keyboard starts playing. And you don't know where you go. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get born again again. <laughs> How many of you have been born again at least 10 times? Don't lie. Okay? My hand is up. <laughs> it does this. You give your life to Christ, you take it back. <laughs> then you give him again. <laughs> Hallelujah. There was a day I was preaching years ago in Unilag. So I gave what is called an altar call and some people came forward. So I said, you know what? Before I, before I pray with you, pray. And you know how they prayed? I said, wait. I said, wait. I said, <laughs> I said, you are filled with the spirit. He said, yes. I said, did it just happen now or before? He said, ah, they have been filled with the spirit. I said, and you want to be born again? <laughs> oh, wrong, yeah. <laughs> so we don't know about joy in the faith. And if you don't know about joy in the faith, you need to change your pastor. That's what Paul said. He said, I will continue with you. So if you don't know joy in the faith, no one has continued with you. That's the meaning. Every time you think of the coming of Christ, you are scared. Meanwhile, in the Bible, the saints were crying Maranatha, which means come quickly. You are scared. Saints are crying Maranatha. What have you been hearing? Saints are crying Maranatha. The only reason why any child of God may tell God to take his time is because he needs more time to tell more people. Not that you were scared. So again, I ask you, you know, what have you heard? There's a text that changed my life years ago. 
And I want to read it to you. A good number of you may know it, but it's still very powerful. So you're going to read it together. Philippians 1 6, everybody. Philippians 1 6. We have to move quickly. Everybody read together. One, two, go. Hallelujah. Paul said, being confident of this very thing, <laughs> that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, the problem with many people is they feel that God begins it and they complete it. Listen to the way people pray at altar calls, which I wish I have enough time to even explain what many people are getting wrong. But the way they go about it insinuates that God gives you something and just leaves you and expects you to continue on your own. But this is a radical shift. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun will do what? So meaning he doesn't leave you to yourself. To be born again is to be born into a family. Only a, an irresponsible dad will, will have a wife who gives birth to a child and he'll say, ah, a nice child. Congratulations. Taps her and goes. God is not irresponsible. He's a father. He stays with you to nurture you, to grow you. To help you. He's aiding you. Listen, he's not waiting on the other side to see how you will fare. To see if you will make it or not. He's holding your hands and walking with you. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus. Say loud, amen. Amen. Do you know how powerful that is? It means that your salvation is on account of the competence of God. Ah. Let me tell you this. When you go to a market, Different products have different brands. And different brands attract different prices. Because a brand is an integrity. There are some brands, once you see a name on a product, you expect you have an estimation of the lifespan of the product because of the integrity of the producer. So now he says, he that begun a good work in you, Meaning your salvation is God's work. And guess what the Bible says? It said, whatsoever the Lord does shall be for what? Meaning, if God did it, I expect it to stand the test of time. So it changes everything. If when you look at your salvation, you think of God's competence. God's competence. Because difficulty <laughs> only exists depending on who is handling the challenge. Do you understand me? So there is there are some cases a medical student may not be able to handle. You know, there are some cases, some hospitals refer to senior hospitals. So now, when, from a natural standpoint, you look at all the habits in your life, you look at all the things you are going through, if it is by works, you know you can't make it. But when you think of the person who, begun, who has begun the work, <laughs> It stares in you what Paul calls confidence. Say, I'm confident. I'm confident. 
He said, being confident of this one thing. Ah, he who has begun a good work in you will perform it. So Paul looks at an entire congregation and he says, I'm not afraid you will backslide. You cannot. <laughs> you cannot. I'm sure of who kickstarted what is, what is active in your life. Who, he who has begun a good work in you will perform it on the day of Jesus Christ. What a way to preach on your congregation. You know, there are different types of pastors. There are pastors who will make you even doubt the small confidence you have. And then there are pastors who are confident on your behalf. That are you? Uh, <laughs> do you know what you carry? Do you know the Holy Ghost in you? The efficacy of the redemptive work? Active and prosperous in your life? You say, I'm sure. I'm sure. You say, no, no, no. That, that's okay. So he's boasting about it. He said, because God is a finisher. What he started, he will complete. What a mentality. Some people, you know, wrong interpretation has made people think that on the final day, some people who thought they were believers will get there and then the angels will check. <laughs> no entry. Dang. Access denied. You've seen movies about it. Those are the imaginations of men. Let God be true. And all men liars. Listen. So, what about texts like Matthew chapter 7 verse 21? 21 to 23. You know, this text has been preached on many people many times. It says, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. We have prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, looking at this objectively, my first question, if this means what people think it means, is, is Jesus a liar? Do you know why that question comes to mind? Because if these folks were born again, and supposedly they backslid, then Jesus ought to say, I don't know you anymore. If he says, I never knew you, that's a lie. Why would he say, I never knew you? That's a lie. If they were serving you faithfully and then they, they backslid, he ought to say, I don't know you anymore. You were getting it right, but you missed it. That's what he ought to have said. Why would he lie? Why would he, in judging liars, lie himself? You know what was happening? Let me just tell you. He said, I never knew you because indeed he never knew them. They were never saved. All right. So follow the flow of thoughts now. Let us start from verse 15. Verse 15 of Matthew 7. It says, beware of false prophets. Greek word pseudo-prophetis. From, you know, you've heard of pseudo, pseudo, right? So what is he talking about? Impostor prophets. Who are not born again but prepared, pretend to be. Who are not saved but pretend to be. Listen, there are many of them today. Who see the honor that is given to genuine men of God and want it. And instead of craving a genuine relationship with the Lord, they just want all the things that come with it. There are biblical examples. What about the seven sons of Sceva? They were not saved. They saw Paul doing cool stuff. They wanted to do it too. What about Elimas who offered money? 
so that you could walk miracles. There were people like that. Guess what? Do you notice the similarity between what the demons said to the seven sons of Sceva to what Christ said at the end? He said, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? So in the spirit realm, we don't recognize you. Because you act like it, you talk like it, but you are not it. You are fake. Pseudo prophetess. So that's what he was saying. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing. So they are, they are pretending, all right? They are pretending to be sheep, but they are not. He says, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He says, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistle? Even so, every tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire, which is a metaphor of eternal judgment, right? Therefore, by their fruit you shall know them. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me. Do you get this? He was not talking about believers. What did he say about believers? He said, everyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's what he said. This is so important. Listen, one of the most resounding revelations in the New Testament is this. That nobody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be ashamed. The Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every truth, truth shall be what? So meaning, in order, every Bible student knows, every scripture that is repeated once, twice, three times. It means the Spirit of the Lord has placed an emphasis on it. So now, let's see how many times this statement is made in the Bible. Look at, let's look at the New Testament alone. First Peter chapter 2 verse 6. We have to be fast now because we still have a lot to share. First Peter chapter 2 verse 6. It says, wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be what? He that believeth on him. This is a law in the spirit. Romans chapter 9 verse 33. No, Romans chapter 9 verse 33. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The Greek phrases that are used there means to blush in shame because your expectations are rejected. I used this illustration years ago. Has it ever happened to you? Maybe in the university, you know what I'm saying. You bought ice cream or something like that. And um, you are eager to munch it, but you, you, you can't have it yet. So you go patiently and you keep it in the fridge. Or maybe it's not really frozen, so you want it to catch some more so that the experience will be better, right? And you put it in the fridge. Then later I will go and get it. Then you are walking, you're going on with your walk, doing hard work, and in your mind you're like, when I'm done. <laughs> you're already laughing. When I'm done, after all this work, I will just step it down, you know. Maybe not ice cream because most people won't dare to take your ice cream, but Fanta. You know, you put it chilled, say, when I'm done. Then after a hard day's work, you go to the fridge and you open it. In an African home with maybe seven siblings, you kept chilled Fanta in the fridge. And you just scream, who took my Fanta? That feeling of frustration is what it means to be ashamed, that, to, to blush in shame. 
just a picture of someone who after maybe, you know how the movies picture it, that you serve God faithfully for so many years. You even had a church. Many souls were one, you know. Then as you were driving home, someone just drove in a funny way. You said nonsense, you know, and you were angry. Then you had, had accidents. Then you now go to heaven and say, where are you going? <laughs> Is that not how the movie said it? You know? <laughs> They said, look at your last moments on the earth. <laughs> no, look at your last moments. You hiss. That hiss threw away 30 years of ministry labor. Depart from me. <laughs> And so, criminals who don't really love Jesus have now devised a technique. They've realized it that if they've realized it in their mind that if a truck you hit them before they die, they just say, <laughs> Catch me. <laughs> you will not catch me. Before I go, I just say, Father, Father, remember me in your kingdom. <laughs> Is that not what the movies portray? And now you're now so scared. Ah, what if I just, as I was going, I stepped on someone's shoe and I forgot to say sorry. But the Bible says, whosoever believes in him shall not. Romans 10, 11, the same thing. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. It is against the design of redemptive possibilities for you to expect salvation because you place your trust in Christ. And for any reason, you don't get it. The day that happens, know that the word of God has fallen to the ground. It says, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. There is one more text that talks about it, but before I go to that text, the text is in verse 5, verse 4 and 5 of Romans 5. But I want to start from verse 1, because it has a lot of good stuff there. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ah. Say that with me, I have peace with God. Do you believe that? Let me give you an analogy. Imagine that the government wants to increase Jobs. These days you have to imagine it in this country. <laughs> and one of the things they do is to build an indigenous car manufacturing company. And just because the goal is poverty alleviation, they go to the poorest of communities and they give really poor people the job of marketing those cars. But they give you a target. You have to sell such and such number of cars. So because customers were not coming, the guys are feeling zealous and they come to you know, their boss and they say, can we drive the car to a few people just so that they can test drive you know, and all of that? And they said, okay. So these guys who are literally from the village drive Mercedes 2020 edition. 2021, you know, and they're driving it to people and then they have an, an accident. And the car is damaged. You know, I've seen something like that. You know, I was coming from somewhere and I saw a new car. The car dealer was very likely going to deliver it somewhere and it ran into a, 
a, a truck. I say, hey, God. Village people. <laughs> <laughs> a new car. Ah. So now what are they going to do? He's a government official. It's the people's money. He cannot just say, I forgive you. The people will hold him accountable. So what is going to happen? The young man says, sir, just give us time. We will take five jobs, whatever it will take. We will raise the money. <laughs> and he says, okay, try. And then, so they have five jobs. They do no longer have a weekend. They work on Saturday, work on Sunday, work from morning till night. Different shifts. Five different jobs have online business. Like five Instagram pages. And just doing, you know, and after trying all they can, they make some money, but it's still nothing compared to what they're trying to raise. Are you with me? And interestingly, the etymology of the word sin actually means to miss the mark. So they tried everything, but they still missed the mark, you know. And then the boss does this. He brings out a check from his pocket, writes the full amount of the cars, and he gives them. Says, go and pay to the bank. You're free. Now, that's what God did. Did you hear what, what I said? Now, all this while, the guys couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep. They're just thinking of how to raise this money. Otherwise, they'll be in trouble. Maybe they'll be arrested or whatever. And then all of a sudden, the check is in their hand. Talk about peace. Now, he says, being justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, listen, you think of his sacrifice and then you are at peace. Anybody who is perturbed about making heaven, you know, hasn't pondered the sacrifice of Christ well. It's that because of Jesus, we have peace with God. Not temporal peace, eternal peace. I'm at peace with God. And God is at peace with me. What a mentality to have. God is not angry with me at all. He's not angry with me at all. He's not angry with me. He's not. He's not. He said being justified by faith, we have peace. Listen, you can know this in your head and it won't sink in your heart. Ponder this properly. He said being justified by faith, I have peace with God. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not done yet. Verse 2, you're going to love this. Everybody read verse 2 together. Louders again. One, two, go. Now that's good stuff. But the first thing I want to point out is this. When he says by whom, who is he talking about? So it is by Jesus that you have what? Listen. Like I said, you can know that in your head and it doesn't sink in your heart. Because you can be a church boy for many years and every morning when it's time to pray, you are as confident as your remembrance of all the good things you have done. If I'm telling the truth about you, just do I don't want you to raise your hand. Just give me a sign somehow. <laughs> you know, there's something about us. When it's time to pray for the sick or do something, you know, in split seconds, we just run through our mind. Oh, what have I done? What, you know, and then when you feel like you've tried, there's a confidence you have. I'm close to God. Imagine if your mentality was this, that it is by Jesus by his sacrifice that you have access. Think about that. Think about what your life would be. Do you know that spiritual growth is recognizing the extent of what you have? That's what spiritual growth is. 
is self-discovery. <laughs> because a newborn believer does not even know how powerful he is. You don't know. You don't know. I've said this time and again. Think about it. The angel appeared to Mary and said, Hail, highly favored of God. And she was afraid at the salutation. She never saw herself highly favored. She thought the angel missed his way. So it is possible for you to rank very high before God and not know. Did you hear what I said? And that's the problem with a lot of us. That your mind is condemning you does not mean God is condemning you. You know what John said? He said, even if our mind condemns us, God is greater than our mind. Even if our mind condemns us, God is greater than our mind. And many times when God wants to call people, he has to persuade them. Because there's often a disparity between how we see ourselves and how God sees us. By whom we have access. It says, into this grace wherein we stand. Hallelujah. By stand, he means to abide. Do you know what this means? It means the picture of a saved man is the picture of a stable man. You didn't hear what I said. It says, we have access into this grace wherein with what? So, he's giving a picture of stability. A saved man is not one who is vacillating in his mind. Today I'm born again. Today I'm not. Tomorrow I'm not sure. Tomorrow. Have you ever asked someone, are you saved? Definite question. I say, it's complicated. <laughs> oh yeah. But he says, have access. Stand. Stand in the consciousness of access. Stop wavering in your mind. Stand. Stop moving up and down, considering all your shortcomings, all the things that you do wrong. He says, stand in grace. Stand. Stop doubting. Stop wondering. Stand. Because you're not standing in your own ability. It is what Christ did that gave you access. Don't you understand? He says, he has given us access into this grace wherein we stand. He didn't just say, stand. <laughs> Listen, tell the person by your side, say, don't just stand there. Don't just stand there. <laughs> yeah, it's true that he said stand, but don't just stand there. <laughs> he said, wherein we stand and what? <laughs> Woo! <Yeah>. Glory! <laughs> Hallelujah! Listen, this is what he means by progress and joy in the faith. It means what Christ has done for you is something to shout about. It's something to rejoice. Let me tell you this. If there was any uncertainty about the work of Christ in you, he won't ask you to rejoice. Because you're on probation now. <laughs> but guess what he says? There is much joy in heaven over every sinner that repents. Much joy. Why would heaven have a party about something that we're not sure Hallelujah. You're not getting what I'm saying. Please rejoice. In fact, let me interest you. The Greek word translated rejoice actually means to boast. This is the difference between this word rejoice or the general word rejoice. This one word means to rejoice at the enemy's expense. So it's actually a boast. When maybe you play FIFA with someone who had been bragging and you won. You know, I say, ah, I tell you. I tell you. <laughs> I tell you. That's what God wants you to do to the devil. And say, I told you, devil. I told you, devil. I told you. I told you. I told you. I told you. Greater is he that is in me. you know here I told you I told you this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith I told you let me give you an example of boasting Paul said oh death where is your sting oh 
grave, where is your victory? Now that's boasting. The Greek word means boastful utterances. Boastful utterances at the devil's expense. Sit down for a bit. Let me try, try to wrap this up. Hallelujah. See, let me tell you this. Salvation revealed the weakness of Satan. Can I tell you this? Satan is overhyped. I'm Listen, I'm not saying his, his works are not devastating. I'm saying he's overhyped. In fact, the Bible says that in that day, we will say, is this, is this he that caused the terror of nations? Is it like, like oh, you? It's overhyped. Because like I said, in salvation, the weakness of Satan was revealed. Let me tell you this. Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. The Bible says if they had known 1 Corinthians 2, 8, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So how daft do you have to be to be trying to stop God and in all you are doing, you are fulfilling Do you have to be for it to dawn on you at the end? That ah, you know, yeah. ah, I help them all. Listen, I have few seconds, but I want to do a quick Bible study with you. There is something called typology, all right, and in the Bible, there are people in the Bible. From their life and their patterns, you just see a prophetic picture of what Christ would be like through their life. For instance, at Moses' birth, all the male children two years and under were killed. At Jesus' birth, all the children two years and under were killed. There are just some patterns in the lives of some people to show you what Christ would be like. David was such a man. He was the type of Christ. The similarities were so many. Dave, Joseph, I beg your pardon. Joseph was the beloved of his father. Jesus was the beloved son of God. Jesus was betrayed of Judas. Hebrew Yehuda. And Joseph was betrayed of his brethren, but specifically of his brother named Judah. Of all those guys, the only blood brother he had was Judah. And it was Judah that suggested, let us sell him to slavery. You might argue that, yeah, he did it so that he will not die in the pit. But nonetheless, he sold him to slavery. What is the coincidence that the person who betrayed Jesus and the person who betrayed Joseph had the same name? Not just that. Joseph was sold to slavery for 20 pieces of silver, Jesus, 30 pieces of silver. So many similarities. Joseph, when he was sold to slavery, he was stripped off his clothing. Jesus, when he was arrested, was stripped off his clothing. So many similarities. And I can literally go on and on because this is a whole Bible study. But of all the similarities, there is one powerful one. That... The brothers of Joseph were trying to stop what they thought God was doing in Joseph's life. But in trying to stop him, they fulfilled it. That's the story of Jesus. That at the end, Joseph looked at his brothers, sad and, you know, feeling guilty. And he said, don't worry. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And that was the story of Jesus also. That in trying to stop the plan of God, they fulfilled it. The Bible says, if they had known, they would not have crucified. Like the devil regrets still today. He regrets. What is done. Guess what? What is done is done. 
your sins are eternally paid for. What is done is done. Say that with me. What is done is done. Hallelujah. And then you come back to Romans chapter 5, Romans 5, 5. As I begin to wrap this up. And he said, and hope make it not ashamed. Do you see that again? This hope of eternity, this hope of making heaven makes not ashamed. Why did he say so? He says, for the love of God is shared abroad our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Say with me, the love of God, love of God. is shared abroad our hearts by the Holy Ghost. You need to know what the Holy Ghost in you represents. If those guys knew when I preached years ago, they wouldn't have doubted their salvation if they had the Holy Ghost. It's because you don't know what, what it means to have the Holy Ghost in you. If in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 it says, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Which is the earnest of your inheritance unto the purchase possession. Unto the inheritance of purchase possession. Unto the praise of his glory. Meaning the Holy Ghost is a seal. When you have the seal, you have access. When you have the seal, you don't doubt that you have access. Listen, heaven is not just a geographical location. It's an environment. Only those who carry the environment will make heaven. It is only those that heaven is in that will enter heaven. See, when we tell the story of Nicodemus, there is one detail that we miss many times because, you know, many people just ignore it because it's confusing. Look at John 3.13. I know you know John 3.16, but you need to know John 3.13 because this is powerful. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He's talking to Nicodemus and he said this. He said, no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is what? And you're like, this is confusing. Where are you exactly? You're here talking to me and you're saying you're in heaven. And Jesus said, I am from heaven and I am in heaven. You, you have to understand, we're talking about spiritual realities. Heaven is not your secondary school. Heaven is not your village. Heaven is a spiritual place. Meaning, you can be there right now. The Bible says of the believer, as you are here, seated in Tafo Conference Center, it said you are seated with him in heavenly places, he says, when God raised Jesus up, he raised you up with him. And when Christ sat, he made you sit with him in heavenly places. So you are seated. If that scripture is true, as surely as Jesus is in heaven, I'm there. So when it comes to spiritual realities, you can be in Tafos Center, you can be in Ibadan and be in heaven. And in fact, that's your reality. So listen. The saints are not people trying to make heaven. The saints are citizens of heaven sent to the earth on assignments. So listen, we are on earth not to raise any doubt about where we belong. We are here for work. Did you hear what I said? This should get you really excite, excited. Turn the Bibles, Philippians chapter 3. Last text of the day. No, oh, I'll read one more and then we'll close. Philippians 3.20. Stand to your feet. He said, for our conversation is where? KJV makes this um, very complicated. Let's use another translation. 
I like this one. <laughs> it says, for our citizenship is where? It says, from which? <laughs> from which we also eagerly wait. Listen, so we are waiting for our Savior as citizens. We are not waiting for him to see where we will belong. We are waiting for him as citizens. Did you hear what I said? Are you a citizen of heaven? Just worship him right now. If you are a citizen of heaven, say it. Say it in thanksgiving. Rejoice in Christ Jesus right now. Make your boast. Make your boast in him. Make your boast in him. Make your boast in him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Listen. They might have told you to come forward before. If you wanted God to bless you. That one doesn't count. They might have even told you. To come forward. Because you were scared of hell. See. Fear is not the power of God unto salvation. You can be afraid and still not be saved. It is the gospel that gets us saved. You are my grace. You are my mercy. God bless you. You are... You are my ransom. Everybody sing this with me. Say, You are my grace. You are my grace. You are my mercy. You are. You are my ransom. Sing it, everybody. You are my grace. You are my mercy. You are. You are. You are. You are. My ransom. My debt is paid. You are. You are my mercy. Oh, thank you, Jesus. the gospel to the world. It's funny. God has prayer requests. <laughs> Some of you know you want to pray about something and he's telling you to pray about something. <laughs> Hallelujah. Preach the gospel to the world with power, with the articulation of the word, the grace on your life is multiplied, and I stretch my hands towards you as an activation of that grace. So it is in Jesus' mighty name. 
thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings. <music>